What is up, people? How we doing? Coach Bird K, long time no talk. Just wanted to welcome everyone back to Fundamental Wisdom Podcast, but more importantly, explain myself. Now, I'm not one for excuses, but I just want to let you know why there hasn't been a podcast in two, two and a half months, and why my content has been a bit quiet. So, yeah, started Fundamental Wisdom Podcast, always going good. I was in a good momentum and a good flow. And then this was about two, two and a half months ago. I went to live on a yacht um, and I was sailing Greece and there was no Wi-Fi to be able to do a podcast. And I mean, I wasn't really bothered doing a podcast when I was exploring uh, the Dokkanese Greek islands. So that was the first month that I missed out on podcasts. And the second month, few of you might know that uh, I was planning to go back to live in Turkey again after the yacht after sailing and I actually ended up getting deported from Turkey so I had to run away to a couple of Greek islands and the Wi-Fi there was terrible as well I couldn't even take a FaceTime from my friends from my family it was awful so I couldn't do a podcast and sun is in my eyes now but I missed doing podcasting so much and this podcast is super interesting and if you just listen in for an hour, it's a lot of talking, content heavy, and it goes in and out. <laughs> Guys, super interesting. Sky, give it a listen. And listen, look, if you want like a solo podcast, which I've considered doing on uh, my adventures and what exactly happened, because I know uh, hearing that someone got deported from a country, it's kind of like, oh, what the fuck is going on here? So if you'd like a solo podcast episode where I kind of explain my life over the last month or two or three or four, Maybe my whole biography, who knows? Just let me know. And yeah, with that, good to see you here again. The podcast will be a lot more regular from here on out as I am back in Ireland for the time being. And yeah, enjoy the show. Yes, folks, welcome to episode 13 of the Fundamental Wisdom Podcast with your host, Coach Barrett K. On this podcast is where we ask the questions that you want the answers to and discuss ideas in order to help you level up to your highest self. We have practical discussions to help you level up physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and financially. And on this episode, episode number 13, I'm honored to be joined by a very interesting guest coming from the Pacific time zone. So I'm guessing somewhere on the East Coast in America, we have a real life alchemist coming on the show. Let's say hello to Sky from Gnosis. Oh, did I say East Coast? Oh, dude. Okay. Well, we're rolling now. It is what it is on the West Coast. Oh, no, I'm not that. Hi, good morning, 9 a.m. How are you doing, brother? It's it's going pretty good. I'm here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, Portland, specifically in Oregon. And uh, also another thing, it's pronounced Gnosis. The G is silent. Oh, my Gs. Me and my Gs, man. I should know, you know, having spent the last X amount of months in Greece, I'll keep that in mind. Okay. You know, we were talking about this right before we got in, but the, the G, the... The G is actually a soft sound. It's only hard, I guess, in the English context. Uh, even in Spanish, you don't have such a hard sound with the G. Mm. But yeah, interesting. Interesting. Interesting to say the least. Right. So, Sky, I'm going to call you Sky. Is that okay? Yeah, so, that's what as far as I know, about you you run the arcanum and the salt of salvation but just to give the viewers a little bit you know of a backstory of where you came from who you are your kind of zero to hero story let's get a little bit of a biography who are you brother well i am a jack of all trades apparently i do a lot of things and i've found myself with many 
passion over the last let's say, 15 years at this point, 15 years. Uh, it, it all started when I was in the middle of high school and I won't drag that story out. You said, God, that, that could be its own episode. And, but, uh, yeah, I started studying mysticism pretty early and, uh, I realized quickly that mysticism wasn't this theory and, um, that it connected directly to quantum mechanics, uh, metaphysics, chemistry, mathematics, alchemy. Uh, I might have said math already, but I guess you can see that it's a it's a broad area of study. And uh, when I started studying one, I started seeing uh, I started seeing a lot of dots connect for me in my mind. I grew up in a private school where I was taught every single day to read the Bible, recite it, uh, write it out. And so I grew up with theology at the forefront of my experience. And once I, once I grew up a bit more, I started to study mathematics and sciences, um, chemistry, physics, all those things. And then I realized quickly that all those things were connected. There is no separation between any of these topics because what we're doing is we're attempting to quantify the experience that we all have. That experience is only one thing. It's not 20 million experiences. We only have an experience of reality through the lens that we have, which is two eyes in our eye sockets, right? So everything that we study is an attempt to to bring quantification to this experience so they're not separate it's all one of the thing it's all one experience so i had this knowing i guess you can say uh deep down from an early age that everything that i was reading was an attempt to describe what all humans at one point or another have experienced uh, and it was real early when I started realizing these things. I, I was in church. I remember asking the pastor, like, who created God? And that's blasphemy in their eyes. They kicked me out of the room. They didn't like that. I asked that question. It was, that was a pretty traumatic day, actually. I remember getting kicked out of the room and I didn't understand what was wrong. I was just asking why, which is a fundamental question that human beings at one point or another, usually between the ages, actually as early as you can talk, well, and as early as you can comprehend ideas, you're probably asking why. And that, I mean, even to this day, I think is the most important question is why. And you start asking why and you start saying yes and you start getting these answers as if you're interacting with a greater intelligence. And it, it, it talks through symbols, it talks through uh, synchronicity, it talks through people. Right. So it's for those with eyes to see and ears to hear, I guess you can say. So, uh, anyways, all that to say that, uh, my whole life has kind of built up to this. And once I started studying seriously, I started realizing that the interconnectedness of all these sciences, all these, uh, um, theories, etc., uh, they, they all just, uh, coalesce into one body of work and that's alchemy. Alchemy is the coalescence of all of the all of the 
different sciences and theories and everything that you can possibly try to um, explain this experience through. Alchemy is the... I'm trying to put it in a way that really does it justice, but I guess words can only do so much. Uh, yeah, alchemy is is the root, I guess, because uh, if you can see everything as a as an attempt to describe something, right? Um, alchemy, chemistry, uh, physics, all these things try to explain and describe, but uh, alchemy itself, I guess you can say, is a body of work, a study named after the very experience itself because in alchemy and most people know alchemy to be this precursor to chemistry and it is that but it's so much more than that it's not just this yeah. precursor proto-chemistry can i just stop you there so before we get into like very advanced language or whatever and advanced explanations let's say someone's listening to this podcast and they have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. So let that person be me for a second. And I'm just going to say the only thing about no, the only thing that I know about alchemy right now is that it's just this like ancient, almost mystical way of preparing like tinctures and all these extracts and using these herbs and whatever, what have you, and mushrooms to just make products, right? So yeah, it is all I know about alchemy. So, like, can you kind of expand from that, you know, for the it, viewers? Mm -hmm. So, Ben, I I can go on tangents, so please keep me on track. I, I will fall off. So, yes, it is that, and it can be that. Um, but alchemy itself is an attempt to describe in, in almost like a magnified way the experience that we all have and how it relates to what we are, right? So this experience, this experience is our consciousness, how our consciousness itself relates to the experience that we have. And we experience matter. We experience physicality. We experience density. And if you touch a wall, it's dense, right? You can't, mm. it resists you, right? So if you try to grasp anything, there is substance there. There's quantity, there's matter. So alchemy in its simplest form, aside from the tinctures and all that, is just how your consciousness relates to matter, right? How your soul experiences physicality and everything that goes into that. That is alchemy at its core. Mm. But we can take it further because alchemy itself tends to be uh, misconstrued and uh, mystified and it's... It, it can be so many things because it's so vast. And that's where people start drawing, uh, they start drawing these conclusions that aren't exactly accurate. And unless you actually practice alchemy yourself, you wouldn't know this. So for most people, they just see it from the outside in and they see it from the lens that they've been told, maybe in school or whatever, that it, it was a form of like proto chemistry the precursor to chemistry, but it, it wasn't that at all, actually. I would say chemistry is just as much part of alchemy as art is, as uh, physics is, um, metal smithing. It's, it's vast, right? So in an attempt to bring it together, right, uh, alchemy is applicable to making tinctures and whatnot, 
but it's it's essentially humans experiencing the world and then magnifying it within a closed environment realistically as a practice at least right so when you go outside and the it's a hot day the moisture from the earth actually that came down as rain right um or the body of water by the oceans and rivers and all that will evaporate and then they condense within the air form these clouds and then they precipitate down and then all of a sudden you have the rainfall and it's the cycle so uh, because of the atmosphere everything on earth is essentially in a closed loop system so even when water evaporates it never leaves the earth crazy to think about right yep. so <laughs> that that comes back down and then we have this cycle so it's this perpetual cycle of death and renewal. And so the ancient alchemists would observe this and they observed the stars, the astrology, they observed all of the physics and everything that has to do with our experience here on earth. Again, like I was saying, it's our consciousness, how it relates to the matter, how it relates to the world. They experienced these cycles, they observed it, and then they realized, wow, if I apply heat to this pot, this earthen pot that I made, the water that I put inside of it actually does the same thing. It evaporates into the air and I can feel the heat. And if I put an object above it and something that's possibly round at the bottom, cone shape or something, it will actually capture the moisture as it rises, as it volatilizes, and then it'll condense on the object and then fall back down. And so this is some of the earliest forms of uh, distillation, you know, the same practices that people do in the laboratory these days, organic chemistry, so on and so forth. These practices originated from human beings observing the world around them. And so for a person to say, oh, it's a, it's a primitive form of chemistry, it's not even chemistry. Chemistry is a part of alchemy, the other way around. Chemistry comes from alchemy, but it's chemistry is like alchemy without the art, without the yeah. connection to God. And that's exactly what needed to happen so that they could progress on a on a quantifying practice, I guess you can say. So chemistry, as you know, is all about quantity. We want to quantify the world. We want to bring things into a specific value so we have definition. And that's that's fine, right? We 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 all benefit from the advancements of chemistry, but it's not it's not to say that alchemy isn't valid at all because alchemy itself is a art form. It's an art form. It is, um, it's almost religious in a sense, right? Um, yeah. cause we, I mean, I can go into it, but I'm not going to, just, there's a lot there. Um, but at, at the same time, it's also, uh, quite of an, an expressive art form in the sense that when you start working with matter around you, re you realize that everything is this, grand symphony of vibration and everything is coalescing into this experience and everything has a place in it and when you realize that you realize it's so divine that the existence of a higher creator a uh, higher god a uh, higher power etc um is unmistakable there's definitely something holding all of this together and there's a few books that put it in perspective in a way i mean if you read the bible you probably understand that there's a lot of truth in that. Mm. 
Okay, uh, excuse me, folks. We ran into some technical difficulties as soon as Sky mentioned the Holy Bible, which is uh, interesting. But Sky was just talking about some books that came to mind in, you know, for example, to make it make sense for us. For Latin. all right, so but, yeah, there are but, a few books. There, there are a few books that do a really good job of bringing all this, uh, all of these seemingly unrelated topics, uh, bodies of work into one interconnected body of work that has a functioning comprehension of the totality of the experience, right? It's, uh, the book is The Universal One by Walter Russell. That's a good one. Um, the, another one is The Emerald Tablet of Hermes Trismegistus. That's our Emerald Tablet has a singular word. There are, there's another body of work called the Emerald Tablets, plural, of Hermes Trismegistus or of Thoth or whatever. And that one is apparently a channel work, whatever that means. <laughs> it's just, I don't, I don't subscribe to channeled works. Like it either existed as a body of text or it's, bullshit to me like you know, i don't i don't go out with people's claims of channeling this deity and this and that like dude it just sounds like psychosis to me and I, i'm in a i'm in a place where it's already sensitive enough that when i drop the a word you know alchemy people yeah. already start to ask questions or they disassociate from the conversation and that that's already bad set up mm. I do my best to tie it all into a much more cohesive and digestible form because all of these things are relevant. They're extremely relevant to everything that we experience, mm. which is why I pursued this as my uh, my life's work. Mm. Well, Scott, just to say, you know, like you're making it make a lot of sense for me and you're making it kind of... You're showing me, and I guess now the viewers, that it is a beautiful craft with so many intricacies and all of this involved. But I feel like the general consensus and the general thoughts that come to someone's head when they hear a word like alchemy is some sort of like Skyrim witch. If you ever played Skyrim Elder Scrolls, <laughs> someone just sitting in front of oh, a yeah. cauldron and like stirring and putting in all these <laughs> little herbs on like a pot over a fire and all of this so you know it's uh it's not a common practice that's why i did say this is a very interesting podcast. i mean it is that too funny funny you bring up skyrim because i i originally got the idea to call my uh my umbrella website whatever uh the arcanum because of the the college winter hold in skyrim where yeah <laughs> called the arcanium they call it the arcanium in skyrim but yeah. it's it's the arcanum so yeah i actually originally spelled the website the same way it's spelled in skyrim and then i i switched it over to i mean it's really hard to keep certain words in mind especially when it's like a one-off conversation that i have with the person on the street it's like oh yeah like it's like skyrim and it yeah. goes over people's heads so it's a lot easier to just say the arcanum and I feel you. Okay, so now that that came up, 
all of a sudden out of nowhere. We're talking about Skyrim, which is like one of the best games of all time. Come on, dude. Uh, it's not that I play games anymore, but that was amazing. I spent a lot of, lot of, lot of hours playing that. Let's talk about the Arcanum then. It's your line of work. It seems like it's your baby, and I see you grinding all that every day. So, let's get into that. So, Arcanum is a is an umbrella, so to speak. It's not necessarily just one line of products or anything. It's my life's work, and through it. I have a bunch of imprints that I have had and have and will have in future. Um, Salt of Salvation falls under that. Uh, and that's the current project that has uh, the bulk of my attention right now. So within Salt of Salvation, I have a few products, uh, specifically the Methylene Blue happens to be one of the more... Um, popular items that people use from it. And I have a few other items that have come in and out, but nothing that stays within the roster aside from what I'm currently working on right now, which is an electrolyte formula. Cell salts. So that's another, uh, that's another area of study that maybe some people are aware of, other people are not. Talk to me about that. What is it? So, ah, oh man, th that's already, that's a lot. So, um, <laughs> essentially, there's a book, there's, there's a book by uh, George Carey called The Zodiac and Salts of Salvation. And in this book, he describes, um, He, he describes the use of cell salts, um, which if you're not aware of what cell salts are, the, the idea goes as follows. Um, if you burn a human body, cremate a human body, uh, essentially what's left behind are these 12 cell salts. Now, whether it's just these 12 cell salts is to be determined. I haven't cremated a body, so I can't tell you, and I haven't examined ashes. So at this point, you're going off of hearsay, off of a book, uh, but it seems quite credible enough to where there are already some products on the market that elaborate, expand on this area study where there are different types of phosphates, uh, different types of chlorides, uh, different types of, is it sulfates as well? I think there are some sulfates in there. Um, there's 12 of them, and there's potassium, magnesium, calcium, and calcium, and sodium. And then there's also silica, right? So there's different states of these sodium, sodium, potassium, calcium, magnesium, salts. Um, some bonded with phosphoric acid, other ones bonded with uh, hydrochloric acid. So you get your phosphates or chlorides, you get your sulfates, sulfuric acid, right? So these different salt forms are essentially different acids bonded to the the metal. Uh, these minerals, as people have come to know them to be, are actually metals. So sodium is a metal. I'm not sure if you knew that. Um, potassium, magnesium, calcium, those are also metals. Mm. Uh, but they have transitioned into the mineral state because they have been, they reacted with different acids 
either naturally in the environment or within the body, et cetera, um, or even in the lab when people produce them. So these metals, they have application within the body and then whatever is bonded to them. Um, sometimes it's an, an amino acid. Other times it's another acid like acetic acid, which is vinegar and you'll get like an acetate, right? Or sometimes like I explained, you get uh, phosphates, sulfates, uh, chlorides, uh, and there's so many of these forms. But in this specific context, these cell salts and the chloride, phosphate, and uh, and sulfate form have a wide application within the body. And you can actually just go on Google and type in what is the purpose of potassium phosphate, and then you'll get your explanation. These these have a broad range of use uh, because what happens is like you take these mineral forms in um, something like sodium chloride, right? Your table salt, sea salt, and your body will take this and it will actually disassociate the the chloride ion from the sodium, and your body will use the sodium. Your body will use the chloride, and in this form, it's a lot more bioavailable than if you just ate sodium metal, which I don't recommend. <laughs> I don't recommend it's it's a lot more humanized, so to speak, when you take it in the chloride form. So that's why mm. sea salt is so compatible with humans. And if you're of the school of thought that we actually originated from the ocean, it makes a lot of sense, right? Mm. I don't really claim that, and I don't deny it either. I'm more so in the uh, I'm more so in the school of thought that humans should make a strong attempt to understand the world instead of trying to draw conclusions. Realistically, unless you actually experience it yourself, which is what gnosis means, experiential knowledge, uh, unless you have gnosis of it for yourself, you don't truly know. You just take someone else's word for it, or maybe you see someone claim that they did this experiment, they drew these conclusions, and I guess that's one of the benefits of having scientific journals, but even those can be skewed in a sense, right? So all of this is essentially information that it's largely up to us to interpret so i don't necessarily claim anything it is fact unless i experience it myself right but you can anyways going back to the minerals you can take these minerals in the body and they have a wide range of use uh in regulating different biological functions within the body so if you go on google and you type in potassium phosphate you'll see what it's used for but when it's taken in the body, the body will actually dissociate the potassium from the phosphate. And then your body will use the phosphates in many functions. Phosphates are one of the most important things in the body specifically. And potassium soil is really good as well, as you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's these complexes that George Carey uh, talks about in the book that are essentially the building blocks for the human experience, right? Uh, these are some of the most essential forms of um, of minerals that are used within the body, uh, specifically electrolytes. They're electrolytes. So if you actually go and look at any um, electrolyte supplement on the market, uh, you can even look at Gatorade. They all do this. Uh, it's largely sodium. Uh, there's a lot of potassium there. But uh, the, the main constituents of electrolyte 
products tend to be sodium and chloride because that's what you excrete the most when you sweat, right? Yeah. So uh, you'll stop potassium. Potassium is the third largest uh, mineral that actually gets excreted. And then you have negligible amounts of magnesium and calcium and uh, phosphates. But anyways, without going too deep into that, because I will, I have found that in my own experience, uh, especially since I started doing cyclical ketosis and eating with the seasons and things like that, I found that the um, the requirement for electrolytes is a lot more um, exaggerated, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, There's a higher need for it because when you're in ketosis, your body will actually expel electrolytes a lot more. You urinate a lot more, so you're releasing a lot of these electrolytes that your body actually uses. And so there's a school of thought that permeates, I guess, the health field, right? Or biohacking space, whatever you want to call it at this point. I don't really like to associate these study um, bodies of work with lifestyles because everyone has a responsibility, I guess, to figure it out for themselves. And there is no one way, I guess. But if you start to observe humans and our place on the planet and in the universe, you start realizing that we we live within cycles. The earth itself is in a perpetual cycle of renewal, death renewal, and that happens to be expressed in the form of seasons. It's the easiest thing to see it in. Yeah. So the reason why I got so interested in electrolytes and um, in minerals, I, I guess it's a it's a few reasons, but the the main one was that I, I realized that through my work in ketosis and through my work in alchemy, I realized that it, there was no separation between myself and the experience I was having and all of these different bodies of work that uh, people, people dedicate their lives to. And I found that biochemistry directly related to my work in alchemy. Um, specifically with how the body itself can stay alive and support itself, right? So in my work with alchemy, I realized that if alchemists did this thousands of years ago, and now the way I do it is a lot more sophisticated in a sense than maybe someone a couple thousand years ago would have done it. Uh, I, I did my best to put myself in their shoes. Because in order to understand a body of text that was written by someone uh, hundreds, thousands of years ago, mm. it's it's essential that you take yourself out of the frame of mind that you think in and you put yourself in as close to what you can perceive to be their frame of mind. So in an attempt to understand why people are conveying certain ideas in a certain context, uh, you or I um, have a greater propensity for understanding. So I it just imagine people in the desert, people in caves, uh, experimenting with distillation and experimenting with chemistry, physics, biochemistry, all of that. Uh, it became quite obvious that there are a few things that needed to be at the forefront of my, uh, of my attention. Uh, first and foremost is that we take 
our luxuries way too uh, we we take for granted what is a luxury presently it back in the days was not even uh it, it didn't exist so these things like grocery stores convenience stores supermarkets you name it i mean these things are some of the most unnatural things on the planet yeah uh monocropping farms the agricultural industry all of these things that we take for granted we never even second guess these things didn't exist a couple hundred years ago a couple thousand mm-hmm. years ago um farming happens to be one of the most natural things but i guess we can talk about that a little bit later as i segue into it but i realized that the the luxuries that i had taken for granted actually played a huge part in what i was attempting to uh, pull the lid off of because my study in in the electrolyte field for instance had me a lot had me ask a lot of questions once i realized that the necessity and the um, yeah the, the necessity for these electrolytes and the regulation of the body it was a lot more nuanced than i realized and then i started asking questions well is ketosis uh is keto really something that i should be doing you know a question that anyone should be doing asking themselves whenever they experiment with different types of uh eating regimens and whatnot they're not diets i don't like to call it diet is not really that i mean actually ketosis is not even a diet by the way it's a metabolic state where you use ketones for for energy right you convert ketones into atp but uh keto has taken the world by storm in certain areas and there's a lot of people hating on it as well but the real reality is that our ancestors were always in ketosis they were always in ketosis when they didn't have access to food uh carbohydrates and that is a direct result of either famines of you know fell crop season uh animals eat your food uh didn't get enough rainfall whatever and not you're not exactly in a pattern, but you didn't get enough yield, right? Yeah. Or maybe you were preserving something and uh, it didn't get smoked properly and now you don't have your food for the next couple of months. So there is a lot of different stressors, yes, that humans had to uh, navigate through. And in the, in the process of living life as a human being, directly living with the earth, you don't have grocery stores. You're lucky if you even have a farm and you're lucky if you even have neighbors around you that you can barter with. So if you can take into account human physiology and how it's a direct result of hundreds and thousands of years of, um, I don't want to say natural selection, but I guess uh, of survival, right? Yeah. Your, your genetics are directly... Uh, related to everything that your ancestors did and you are your ancestors essentially i mean there's no there's no difference between you and the people that came before you in fact your genetics are directly um your genetics are directly i guess related yeah i see what you're trying to say i guess yeah, yeah, they are related. Anyways, um, your your genetics are directly, they're a direct result of everything that your ancestors did. So 
the way your body works and functions is a direct result of how they had to survive. Mm. And so there's different metabolic functions in the body. Like I was saying, ketosis is a metabolic state. It's not diet. Mm. And this happens to come into scope when you realize that if you didn't have access to carbohydrates, which if you didn't have access to grocery stores and you had to farm for yourself, you only had food that grew at specific times of the year. If you're mm. at the equator, you might want to think about why people still eat seafood. I mean, if it, if it was really a necessity to eat only plants and vegetables, your ancestors would have done it. And trust me, they were a lot smarter than most people are. I mean, you, if you think that people are smart now because you have access to all this technology and stuff like that, it's actually making people dumb. It's funny that we'll call it a smartphone, but the people using it are stupid. So, I mean, you... You just got to think for yourself. And if you had to survive, your body starts going into a sense of fight or flight where you your senses get heightened. You become a lot more primal in nature. You become a lot more intelligent and capable of surviving. And that's one of the key functions of the human organism is that we're really good at surviving. In fact, we're at the top of the food chain. And I hate to break it to you. just like any person that doesn't believe that humans are the top of the food chain. And it's not because we're able to tear things apart with our claws or anything. Like, it's not that at all. It's that we have the ability to conceptualize ideas and expand on them with our brain. Mm. So maybe there is something above us. Maybe there's some reptilians that we don't see in the blind spot or whatever. But I, I won't really talk about that here. It's more so humans and what we can perceive to be tangible, right? Mm. So it's it's a tangible thing that our ancestors had to survive. And when they didn't have access to carbohydrates or they ran out because the season's ending, right? You then have late fall, winter, spring. And it's not until summer that you actually, in like the northern and southern hemispheres, like really far from the equator, that we actually have access to fruits. Mm. So everything else is essentially animals and maybe some berries. You know, there are fruits that grow here and there. But if you had to go forage that, just go look at a survival show. I mean, there's plenty of them. They they show it quite well that it's not easy to just pick a bunch of fruits off of a tree and survive that way. It's not eh. feasible. It, and then you got to think about how many calories you expend on a day-to-day basis. And to do that solely off of fruit and vegetables, and most vegetables that we eat modern uh, in modern days are, uh, they're hybridized. They're hybridized to make them bigger and to provide more yield. Uh, for human beings, uh, they're they're genetically altered, um, selective breeding, right? Yeah. To create more yield so that humans can have more food. But if you go to something like the the carrot, right? The carrot is even um, it's not even a natural vegetable. I mean this this is a direct result of taking Queen Anne's lace and the wild yam and then bringing them together, and then boom, you have your modern carrot. So that's not even a real food, so to speak, right? That didn't exist until it was created by humans, which is, that speaks to the effect that humans can alter the world. But if we think about our our genetics and how we are thousands of years of selective breeding and survival, the mechanisms within our body to renew themselves are directly implicated by what our ancestors did. So when they didn't have access to the carbs, they go ketosis. And what happens in ketosis is fascinating. It's fascinating. The, I, I feel that there's a huge common denominator there with how a lot of people in 
the school of thought that they have restrictive lifestyles and things like that, veganism, Britarian, Bertharian, whatever, Arian, whatever, right? Uh, there's a huge emphasis on fasting, I've noticed. And then what happens when you fast for two, three days, right? You go into ketosis. Your body starts breaking down old cells and re recycling. You go into autophagy. Uh, you start renewing your body. Uh, your body triggers apoptosis. You have regulated cell death. Your body takes cells that are damaged and mutated and whatnot and it will actually detonate them so to speak it destroys them and then uh, it continues the cycle of regeneration right so what a lot of people attribute to oh it's this diet this diet is it's healing me this not no it's not the diet it's your body your body is your body is designed to do this your body is designed to in the absence of carbohydrates in the absence of food Right. You will enter ketosis. And if you don't have food for an extended period of time, maybe two days, you enter autophagy. Maybe a little bit more depends on the person. But this actually was what was fascinating to me when I realized that it's not about a diet. It's about what our body and what our ancestors um, had to deal with and how we are the direct result of all of those years of selective breeding and survive so when i realized that i was like oh my god the reason why human beings have so many diseases and why we have so much uh so much distance i guess surrounding the topic of diet and what we should eat is because we're so far removed from reality yeah if you just have to if you just spend maybe a couple minutes thinking about what our ancestors had access to and how our genetics are based off of that you should be eating like that. And mm. I mean, to, to a certain extent, we, we have managed to extend our lifespan because of things like penicillin and, you know, uh, other inventions that human beings have managed to integrate within society. And we also live very sheltered lives and whatnot. But if you take that into account, that still doesn't discount what our ancestors had to go through and how our genetics are directly tailored to that. So I think the happy medium is, you know, eating a high quality animal based diet, uh, you know, high quality meats, high quality fats. Your brain is made of fat. Uh, I don't necessarily demonize carbohydrates. You know, I eat them, mm. but I think everything is, everything has its place. Everything is important. But in the same sense that, you know, things like carbohydrates and fiber and, uh, you know, minerals, vitamins, et cetera, are taken into account in the modern context, uh, you, you have to also keep in mind that if you had to do this yourself, how would you go about it, right? You wouldn't go to a grocery store. You would have to hunt. You would have to fish. You would have to forage, et cetera. So these are the foods that make the most sense. Right. And, and if, once you don't have access to carbohydrates, you go into ketosis. And so that's why I do the seasonal ketosis. I do a cyclical ketosis. I don't just do it with the seasons. Mm. Um, I found that there's a lot of benefit to being able to go into ketosis, but keep my calories high. So just about every week, maybe sometimes I do uh, two, three weeks of no ketosis, maybe a month. And then I go into ketosis again because it, it, it essentially simulates the stress 
for the the yeah his the stimulus the stimulus that our ancestors had to deal with on an everyday basis. And now whether it's good is to be determined, right? But I can tell you one thing: my cognition has never been this good. I've had I've had a few issues growing up, um, specifically creating new neural pathways. I I grew up I had a I had a strong stuttering issue mm. uh, that is almost non-existent anymore. Yes, yeah. there's actually a, a large amount of research specifically around this t- these types of uh, issues with cognition and with degenerative brain diseases and whatnot. And you know, there's a lot of implications there. But one of the biggest things that I found specifically with ketosis and brain health is that it does cause the great the brain to grow, causes it to regrow and when you have a high fat diet, uh, your brain is directly made of fat. Um, I would say that it's probably the most important thing to get high quality fats into your diet. So whether you believe in ketosis or anything like that, I mean, it's, you, you can't deny that having high quality fats in your diet doesn't directly uh, affect your cognition and your ability to generate intelligent thought. Yeah. You can yeah. see it. Right? <laughs> Just see it. Just to let you have like some water because you've just spoken for such a long time, but I'm all ears. That is so interesting. Everything for but you really shocked me, I must say, just going way back 30 minutes ago with the burning of corpses for salts. That was crazy. I don't even get a chance to say that. That was crazy. Oh yeah. I've never heard that in my life. But I just wanted to back you up with saying that I was a vegetarian and then vegan. So I was vegetarian for about a week and I thought I was doing good. But then I watched uh, What the Health and Game Changers on Netflix and I went vegan for three weeks. And so that was kind of when I just completely got rid of all fats in my diet. But then after that, I stumbled across like Greg Doucette on YouTube. I don't know if you know him. So he's just like calories guy, basically just like, yeah, to get lean and to get in good shape. You know, you eat zero fats, eat like all protein pretty much. And man, like, just like you said, the, your brain just stops working. You just have so much brain fog all the time. You don't know what you're doing. You're just not oh, yeah. cognizant of adding. You, you literally turn into like an NPC, dude. It's insane. And now I, I'd mm-hmm. say almost half of my calories on some days, almost half of my calories come from fat. Like I've never felt better. I've never performed better. Like everything is just constantly getting better. So yes, absolutely. But can I just ask you, right? So you've given a lot of theory and you've given a lot of like backstory to why it makes sense. And it makes perfect sense. Uh, What I'm talking about is the seasonal and cyclical ketosis. But I just want to know, you've briefly touched on it, but what does the application of that look like for you? So you said for two, three weeks, you will eat your carbs. You're fine. You're good. But then for the next couple of weeks, you just get rid of all of that and eat to be in a ketosis state. Is that correct? No, I don't get rid of anything. That's the thing is that, see, to understand what I do, you have to understand the metabolic function. It's not a diet. It's a metabolic state. So what I do is, I mean, I've gotten so good at that at this point that I don't need to monitor it. But when I was initially doing it, I would monitor my blood ketone levels, my blood glucose find how my body would respond to different foods and when i would go into ketosis how long it would take to get out of it if i ate like a pizza or something or if i ate like a bunch of fruit and 
through trial and error, I found that if I, I, I got fat adapted, I got really good at burning fat for energy. And uh, something cool about using fat for energy is that when you use fat uh, for energy, your body produces 400% more ATP. That's four times the amount of energy burning fat than you do from burning glucose for energy. Mm. And there's a lot of other benefits to uh, ketosis. I mean, just to list off a few, if you're familiar with the citric acid cycle and how uh, how uh, malic acid, say for instance, or like acetate works really good. That's why some people will take apple cider vinegar, a spoonful of it, and then they they feel really good. It's because they're generating energy from that. You're take gets plugged in directly into the sick into the sick acid cycle and then you you create energy from it but your body will actually create its own acetate in the form of acetyl acetate when you're in ketosis other things like uh butyrate right butyrate from resistant starch it, it's a trending topic people are starting to understand this and if you uh, if you leave potatoes out right uh don't put them in the fridge just leave them out overnight or something uh, that will actually convert the starches into resistant starches, and then you get a elevated levels of butyrate in your gut, which is really good for digestion, really good for the mind. The brain and the gut are directly connected. They're one and the same. And butyrate also happens to be one of the main ketones produced during ketosis. So you get beta-hydroxybutyrate. That is one of, the, one of the main ketones that your body uses for energy. So between acetoacetate and beta-hydroxybutyrate, you have a wide array of use functions, right? You have gut health, you have energy levels, um, you have also acetone. Acetone is also produced. Uh, acetone helps to break down lipids. It's a, it's a great solvent. So it's also, you know, one of the reasons why you get like keto breath, right? If you ever experience experiment with ketosis people will say oh you know there's like a sweet chemical smelling thing coming out of my breath it's acetone yeah I've, I've had that before i've had comments about a weird smell coming from me by my family back in the day so i know exactly what you mean mm-hmm. i know exactly what you mean but uh just, just to really kind of hit the nail on the coffin with this question you don't fear carbs, you said. You do not fear carbs. No. It's more about being in the metabolic state. So I just play with it and I monitor my body. Everyone, Everyone's body is different. This is why you have to know your body. This, mm. this will help you understand how your body reacts to certain foods as well. I don't restrict carbohydrates in the sense that I never eat them. I eat them. I eat them a few times a week, actually, and sometimes once a day. But what I do is if I'm trying to stay in ketosis, I will keep it within a specific threshold maybe about 50 grams or less carbohydrates per day um sometimes i go over and i'm still in ketosis lo and behold it just depends on how high my ketone levels are and actually what i found is that even if i have like a, a blood reading of two to three millimoles per deciliter it's pretty uh high i guess you can say in terms of ketone levels in the body uh if i go and i'll eat like a bunch of fruit or pizza or ramen or something um i'll find that it just halves my ketone count and so the next day i'm still in ketosis 
and my body has used all the carbohydrates for energy and for whatever else. Um, but then it'll just go back to fat. And my, my blood glucose level doesn't get elevated too high either. It stays within the 100 range. I think I'm like 100, 110 sometimes, which is still a little higher than I like it to be. Uh, but it stabilizes usually around like 70 to 80. So I found that not only has my body been able to process carbohydrates easier, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't go out of whack when I bring one in and it's still operating off ketones. It's just, it's almost seamless. And I have no, I have no transition period, I guess you can say. So mm. yeah, it's not really about what I'm eating. It's how my body's reacting to it. So getting to know the body. You Interesting. That is very interesting for the listeners, you know, sure. That's uh, something I'm going to play around as well. Now, you know, mm-hmm. try it out, see how my body reacts. But uh, Sky, so I imagine we're coming up to about an hour now. It actually doesn't say here. I forgot to turn the timer on in the left bottom corner. But I would like you to tell me about Methylene Blue, right? I would like you to tell me about it and the viewers because I'll be honest, I've actually never tried it. But recently, I don't know, because like I remember it was really, really popular when uh, the C19 stuff was happening for whatever reason. And then... Popularity seemed to, yeah, the, the Rona stuff back in the day. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just don't want to say it. It's a bad word, and I've heard it can fuck up the views or whatever, so I try not to say it, but uh, everyone will know what I'm talking about. And then it seemed to drop in popularity, but recently, you would not believe, I have, like, say, five people a day just asking me direct DMs, like, hey, have you ever tried MB? Have you ever tried Methylene Blue? Have you ever tried this? What are your thoughts on... And I've never tried it, so... I'll be the noob here, and I will tell you that as far as I know, it helps, it helps with mitochond- mitochondrial function, helps with uh, like neurological processes, it helps with obviously cognition, and and just an array of things, but that's right. all I know. And I know that you make your own and produce your own, sell your own, so obviously you must believe in its power. Yeah, so. This product we have on um, on the Sal- Salvation lineup, like I was saying, it's like the most popular thing I get asked about largely because the other products are still in development, but coming soon, actually real soon, especially with electrolyte formulates. So good. So where do I start with methylene? Blue? It has a wide rate of functions. Uh, and if you put them side to side with something like ketosis, you actually find that they do quite similar things. Uh, it's almost as if it uh, mimics a lot of the, key functions of ketosis uh pretty interesting so this is another reason why i'm so bullish on it but what is it right it's this chemical right it's uh how how do i pronounce it it's methyl methylthionium methylthionium there that's what it is methylthionium chloride it's uh methylene blue it's a salt but uh it was discovered by a German chemist back in 1876, I believe. And it's known to be the first fully synthetic compound ever used in medicine, which is that's a huge thing to state, right? It's the first synthetic compound ever used in medicine. But it also happens to be one of the most amazing things discovered, right? And it happened to be the first one. Like, what are the odds of that? 
So this salt is actually derived from a destructive distillation of a plant called indigofera. Um, the indigofera plant happens to be where we get the word indigo from, right? The color indigo. And you'll find that the color of methylene blue directly correlates with that. It's dark, almost like purplish blue. It can also have some green there. There's a it's a it's a complicated uh, medley of color. Anyways, so this methylene blue, when you ingest it, it helps with uh, cellular respiration, uh, electron transport. Uh, it so it directly affects energy levels in the body. It elevates uh, your body's oxygenation, uh, blood oxygenation. It it helps with. Uh, Quite a few different things. I, I know in, in the medical setting, it's been used for treating malaria. It's been used for treating STDs. It's been used for uh, blue baby syndrome. When babies are born, they uh, they don't have enough oxygen uh, in their blood, so they administer methylene blue to that. There's a few other uh, clinical settings where they use it. Still, uh, to present day, I have, a, I have a few friends that I know that have... Uh, have had quote-unquote Lyme's disease and one of the things that they get prescribed constantly is methylene blue they take it daily about like 10 milligrams per day uh, which is a, it's a fair dose I, I like to keep my doses to about like four milligrams per day if i mm. uh, see the need for it sometimes i take upwards to like 70 milligrams i've taken up to like 150 milligrams all in one sitting uh, so yeah, I mean, it just depends on the body weight of the individual and things like that. But mm. you can take higher amounts and get different effects. Lower amounts get much more subtle effects, cognition benefit, uh, short to long-term conversion uh, increase. So that was like one of the first things I noticed is that when taking methylene blue, my short to long-term, my short to long-term conversion of memory was substantially uh, benefited so i got maybe within a month i would say upwards of like 50 to 60 percent increase in how i was able to retain memories build new memories well and like i said i've i've had a problem with this growing up so to see that drastically shift within about a month of using it that's huge right so mm -hmm. Um, it also works with a lot of other things like, uh, are you familiar with AMPK? No, I am not. AMPK. AMPK. So adenosine monophosphate uh, activated protein kinase, right? Mm -hmm. um, so AMPK, AMP, are you familiar with ATP? You know, adenosine yeah. triphosphate? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Right. So the energy currency of the body. When you have enough ATP, your body actually uses the ATP to uh, um, to create energy. It, it's quite literally the energy currency of the body. But how the yeah. body uses it is that it breaks it down into monophosphates. So you have your adenosine triphosphate, again, going back to the beginning of this talk where I told you that phosphates are extremely important. They're literally used in the energy currency of the body. So without phosphates, you don't have energy. Adenosine triphosphate, that's three, that's a triphosphate, three phosphate molecules, right? And then it's broken down into, um, into AMP, so monophosphates, so singular phosphate. 
So adenosine and single phosphate. When you have enough AMP, you actually get the illumination, this activation of these enzyme complexes in different parts of the body, anywhere from the brain to different muscles uh, to organs. These complexes of enzymes, these kinases, uh, they activate and you have, a, I guess you can see it as like a teeter-totter. You have on one end AMPK, and then on another end, you have mTOR. And mTOR is, uh, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot to be said about mTOR, but I guess when people talk about it in the general sense, they think of building muscle, um, you know, it's all about building. And then on the opposite end, it's breaking down. So you have this balance of anabolic and catabolic states, right? Mm. So AMPK, your body starts breaking down, uh, break down, I guess, like adipose tissue using fat, burning fat. So there's a there's a lot of talk around AMPK in the biohacking sense, right? Or in the health field, where if you want to burn fat and you want to enter the state that can actually help prolong your lifespan, AMPK comes up a lot. So methylene blue actually activates AMPK. Um, in which part of the body, I guess it's to be determined. This is specific to the individual, but it helps to optimize how your body functions. Uh, it not only does it activate AMPK, but it's a strong antioxidant. It's extremely good at what it does. Um, it prevents telomere erosion. Um, what else? Oh, it promotes autophagy. You know, we were talking about this earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Osis. So you can start seeing there's a lot of parallels there or common denominators between use of methylene blue and ketosis, whatnot. Uh, it optimizes cellular respiration, like I was saying, um, mm. specifically with uh, so the optimization of cellular respiration is specific to uh, oxidative phosphorylation. My bad. I'm, I got so many things in my head. So, <laughs> so it happens to just optimize energy levels, helps to break down unwanted uh, free radicals. And, you know, it promotes oxygenation in the body, cognition. It's an anti-inflammatory. It's an antioxidant, nootropic. Like, what doesn't this do? It's yeah, pretty freaking healthy. <laughs> I think I am sold, Sky. I think I am sold. Just keep, just keep track of your dose. I'll say that, and stay hydrated. Just like with anything, you want to cycle. Same thing with how we live within cycles. You want to cycle anything that you're taking for the most part. So, mm. even when I do, like four days on, maybe two, three days off, make it more sustainable. You don't ever want to take the to the point where your body has to downregulate its own production because it thinks or it starts relying on anything that you're taking in it's a good rule of thumb mm, massive right well then sky from gnosis we are coming up to about an hour here so just to sign yourself off how about you tell us what you have coming up next for the arcanum and the salt of salvation now you did say that you have that fantastic top of the line electrolyte mix coming up how about the right. arcanum what's so the arcanum the arcanum as we talked about earlier um arcanum happens to be an umbrella so there's a lot of uh, a lot of flexibility with what i offer and promote there 
I make a lot of spagyrics. Spagyrics are essentially plant alchemy. So plant alchemy uh, in the most distilled sense is it can be made out of quite a few different forms. I strongly encourage anyone that's curious about this to just go on my website. It's Darkanum, T-H-E-A-R-C-A-N-U-M dot I-O. Uh, and I'm sure, Bart, you'll probably put a link to it. Or I don't It'll know. be downstairs, of course. Yes. Uh, so, Bajerics, in the most common sense, is when you take either a plant or a mineral, metal, animal, doesn't matter. You can do this to all four rounds. And you create a spiritualized medicine. And that in the process, you don't waste anything that you are working with like the plant matter or the animal or the mineral, whatever, everything goes into making the preparation. And there's a few steps to it, but you essentially get your extract, your, your active constituents of the, of the thing you're extracting. Uh, sometimes that looks like an essential oil. Other times that looks like an extract. Um, sometimes it's all of it. it just depends on what process I'm employing. But uh, I take that and then I separate it into three essentials, which are outlined on my website. But it, it's essentially taking... Something like maybe ashwagandha, and then I reduce it down to only its most essential. So I end up with my extract. I can ferment it. I get a spirit. I distill the spirit out, or maybe I just use spirit or cab, extract it like tincture. And then I have this like plant matter that's left over. And then I burn it and I filter it. And in the process of uh, reducing, that plant into ashes and then filtering the ashes with water and then recrystallizing the water soluble components. I end up with these mineral salts or electrolytes, largely potassium carbonate and other trace minerals. Uh, I can then take that and react it. It's a highly basic salt. A potassium carbonate has a pH of, a, of about 10 or so. So I could take that and then add it back into the tincture or the essential oil or whatever and then I add the beginning of my process and there's a reaction that takes place it's like an alchemical liposomal so to speak and it, cre it raises the bioavailability of whatever I am preparing so I have lots of those things that I have created and continue to create and then I also have other things like oils that I extract from metals so um, something like oil gold that I've been working with or oil magnesium. It's not like magnesium chloride dissolved into water and saturated to where it kind of resembles oil. It's actually an oil that I take from, that I create from taking magnesium and then reacting it with like a plant acid. And then I try to still it in a, in a retort or whatever. And, uh, through a de destructive decomposition, pyrolytic distillation i end up with this actual lipid right it's an oil and uh so i make some of those things out of different metals and uh they're traditionally used in the chemical context uh because of their astrological correspondences when you work with something like gold say for instance the oil gold that i extract from gold is an actual lipid it's it's an oil and it, it doesn't contain gold this oil has the signature of the metal, right? And the metal carries the signature, the archetypical signature of the sun, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we relate gold with the sun. Um, 
we relate silver with the moon, right? And uh, I mean, there's a whole uh, science to this, I guess you can say, in the alchemical context. So I create these oils, these extracts, pejerics, all that stuff to be worked with in the alchemical sense, uh, working with planets, working with uh, strong, stronger medicines, more bioavailability, things like that. So there's a lot of fun stuff on there. Uh, and I continue to expand upon a lot of this work that I do. If you're interested, you can check it out there. Like I said, that alone can take hours to explain. So maybe <laughs> in the future, we can talk about that and expand on that. There's Absolutely. a lot of amazing things that you are such a, you're an encyclopedia of just the most interesting information, dude. You can talk for hours and hours and hours and hours. You can never my there's Lord. a large corpus of there's a large corpus of work that goes into the culmination of this. Like I was saying, mm -hmm. in the coalescence of all of the sciences, all of the literature, like uh, religious, theological uh, bodies of work, all of that, it all coalesces into alchemy. And that's what's so beautiful about it. It's that it's, there's really no end to it because you can always find those correspondences everywhere that you look, whether it's astrology, theology. Physics, chemistry, metaphysics, quantum mechanics, all of that. It all has, it all plays a part in this greater picture that we call life. It's beautiful. That is beautiful. And I feel like this is a beautiful moment to wrap this up as well. I feel like we've got over an hour, but so, so worth it. So with that, thank you all so much for listening. And Sky from Gnosis, thank you so much for hopping on and speaking about some of the most interesting topics that have been on the Fundamentalism podcast. So yeah, yeah with that, I'm going to put all of Sky's links in the description. You can check out The Soul of Salvation. You can check out The Arcanum. Make sure to pick something up if you have, you know, been interested in anything he's been talking about because I am uh, absolutely running to the website and picking up some methylene blue if it ships to Ireland <laughs> right now because I think I'm sold. So yeah, Sky, thank you so much for your time, brother. And I'm sure that in the near future we'll... Uh, schedule in one of these again because i know you're not finished thank you for having me i, I hope we can actually have some more dialogue as well you, you do a really good job uh keeping on track and i'm sure you can imagine there's so much to be said and i can expand on so many topics so sometimes limiting it to an hour yeah. I, I love to challenge myself in that way